Welcome to the Bald Move TV podcast, where the officially unofficial podcast for all of television. I'm your host, Aaron. And I'm Jim. And today, we are, like every Wednesday for the past five weeks, singling down our focus to HBO's The Deuce uh, with uh, Season 3, Episode 5. You only get one. Jim, what do you only get one of in life? Uh... Well, it's not David Simon series. I know that. We've got like four of those. Do you want to get your one shot to blow? Like uh-huh. in, in Eminem like knows what's up. Uh, I, I don't know. Uh, we were talking about this before the cast. Maybe maybe family, maybe life, maybe uh, yeah, I, I, one shot, like literally one shot at yeah. a career kind of thing for, for I don't know. I'm not good sure. Good question. You, I think you only get one, like the life um, you know, with several people dying in this Certainly episode true, yeah. is, but but also there's just a lot of emphasis on family, like Frankie's mm-hmm. family, uh, Paul and his family, or well, well yeah, both Todd and his family, as well as Paul potentially reaching out to his family. Um, Eileen's uh, son finally comes back to kind of mm-hmm. you know punch her in the gut. There, there's a lot of a lot of emphasis on family, but you uh, you only get one parent who doesn't hate you for being a homosexual. Does it, could that be it? In the case of Todd, <laughs> that, that does seem to be right. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. You only get one episode five of season three. It's true. What did you think of this episode? Uh, I thought it was great. Uh, it's another... Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it all just feels so right. Like, everything follows on from what came before and we see everything building and i I, I continue when i was like going through my notes and like threading it by character i'm just like how how do you do this like i almost think that like each character is given to a particular writer to like write <laughs> and then it's like okay now how do these people enter because like everything is connected i Every episode, you said like, oh, yeah, it's great because like every episode is at such a uniformly high level of Mm -hmm. storytelling and they I mean, I've seen shows struggle to keep uh, one or two plots in the air Mm -hmm. um, amongst a couple of different characters. The way this show just in just is effortlessly pulls off this drama with a dozen, you know, leads in it. Yeah, is inc- I, is incredible. I think this episode is a pretty good example of how they managed to do that because you look at Darlene, right? Darlene's been absent for how many? I couldn't tell you the last time. I think we she saw like we saw her like at her uh, retail job. Um, yeah, you know, getting a getting a boyfriend last season, and yeah, it's so been now five she's years. she's been at school. They they right. so economically tell these stories. They're they're able to bring characters in and out whenever they need them, whenever it makes sense for the story. Yeah, Darlene's a great example of that because I didn't feel like I needed to know. Oh shit, where's Darlene been? She's yeah. been studying to become a nurse, yeah. and she's been through this whole fucking process trying to actually get certified trying to get a job as a nurse and they won't let her because of her past and it's it's less than two minutes that scene tells me everything i think you're right and that, i wonder if that's a, some kind of philosophy that uh, simon and pelicanos have that you like a character if it's exiting has to have some kind of velocity uh-huh. you know like it's it, they're on a trajectory and at a we certain know what speed, they're gonna be doing yeah. kind of like sending a rocket to mars like you don't need to know everything to happen in between like them leaving earth atmosphere and arriving on mars because you fucking know right <laughs> right they waited so it's like for a long know, time you know where they're headed you know where they're going slow and cautious or they're going f- fast and hot and then when you catch them on the way back it's like oh right yeah um so it's it's just it's just really good and i just can't believe how well they do everything with the dialogue and then you know i again you also can forget that this is a period piece set in new york city and they're executing all that stuff at an incredibly high mm-hmm. level and there's another decade of like you know shitty cars they gotta like my <laughs> one of my all-time shittiest cars is like the mid-80s mustangs Okay. And seeing that guy drive that giant piece of shit, which I'm sure it cost him a fortune. He's that tuned and like double spoiler. Yeah, that's too many. Offset hoods. Like you, you took one of the ugliest sports cars that Detroit ever made <laughs> and you just fuck it up. It's it's crazy. Mm-hmm. Um. Anyway, uh, do you have anything else you want to say before we... Oh, oh, the other thing is like this episode was a fucking heavy emotional payload. Yeah, I, yeah have been founding my find myself being engrossed in like the paul and todd saga but like the shit that goes down in this episode is just heartbreaking on several different levels you know just the the plain text of like paul losing his 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 lover Mm -hmm. um the particularly cruel way that he's being taken from him uh then you add the parents to the mix and like the fact the of the, the 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 primary kind of 
focus of just the social injustice there of, the, of this person having to ask permission from these parents that are out of his life for good reason. And, and Todd <sighs> being able, being unable to have this last moment with his parents, right? Yeah. Because he's so far gone and, you know, yeah. that kind of motivating Paul to call up his family and try and reconnect before it's too late, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's a heart wrenching episode. Yeah. Before we continue with the episode, I want to do some housekeeping for here for baldmove.com. Of course, Rick and Morty, we're talking about season three every Tuesday. This week, we're talking the whirly Durly conspiracy and how to wreck the galactic economy with the Wall Street Journal's Paul Vigna. Cecily and I continue to be covering American Horror Story season nine, 1984. We have those episodes each Friday. We're covering the Mr. Robot final season, the spectacular Christmas season of Mr. Robot uh, with episodes released also on Wednesdays. We're in the middle of spooky October, which means Cecily and I are doing the cinematic spooktacular part three, the search for spook new episodes of that dropping on October 10th, 20th and the 30th all hollows Eve Eve for your maximum spooky enjoyment. We have a ton of bald movies coming out. Last week, we discussed The Joker. Next week, we'll be talking El Camino, the Breaking Bad movie premiering on Netflix, as well as Zombieland 2, colon, Double Tap. Finally, don't forget, uh, for club members, we have the Fabulous Lunch with Jim and Aaron every Friday. It's the only show on the internet where Jim says... Lunchtime. So be excited. And that's what's happening this week at baldmove.com. Uh, well, let's talk about it. Uh, okay. I want to start with Vincent because that's probably the most action that's happening in the episode. Yeah. Um, Jim, you called it. I a hundred percent. I called hundred percent that they're going. This videotape definitely was the family Christmas slash pornos that Frankie's been shooting. <laughs> it sure as shit was. <laughs> and the funny thing is, um, you suspect it's going to be used for like comedy and uh-huh. it is but i thought it'd be like him the butt of a joke instead of yeah it's the thing that kind of lightened the mood in the family wake yeah yeah and and it has a certain like you know this is frankie quality to it right yeah like, like that's what frankie, frankie would do in real life he'd cut a joke he'd he'd make uh-huh. he'd, he'd, he'd make everybody laugh and there's just a lot like um, what they've done with his father where, you know, we just barely met him last season. He kind of sleezed around that uh, yeah. the, uh, the confirmation of I forget who the kid was. Uh, but then, like, you know, and Frankie's talking about protecting his little brother and he's like, that's my boy. Um, and the framing of like, you know, I might be the smart one, but Vincent's the good one. Um which just, you know, you can tell that's going to twist in Vincent's guts that like, mm-hmm. you know, obviously if Frankie was the one left and I'd been murdered, like yeah. he maybe not gone about the smart way. Uh, it would have been characteristically like straight at the guy. Bam. He cried like a girl, <laughs> but he, he would definitely avenge him like that. Yeah. Yeah. And he's r- thinking about, about all the times in his life when Frankie did that for him. Right. Sure. Like, and sure. you know it drives him to go do what he does in this episode. Um, and I, I like the, <laughs> it's it's sad, you know the the way that um, this house was used just an episode ago for the confirmation for a joyous occasion. Now mm-hmm. we're back in that same house, and Frankie's gone, right? right. And this is his his wake or his funeral, uh, the reception, whatever it is, uh, whatever you call that. But yeah, it's, it's a sad thing. Um, we find out that Frankie was stiff and Rudy for a, a, a probably 10% of a two grand a month porno empire, mm-hmm. which two grand in 1985 was, but that, that, that's, that's a nice little nest egg. Pretty but, good. Uh, it's a nice little hobby income, but it just goes to show you. Um, it's funny cause Irene says, say what you about Frankie had principles, which I loved mm-hmm. <laughs> Rudy and Tommy having a, having a good laugh about. Um, yeah, but it's it's so fucked up, you know, because I, I don't know. As much as Frankie doesn't have principles, or, or, or you know, he has principles, but they don't limit him from selling drugs. And and you look at you know Rudy's operation, and Tommy's in the same position now, and mm-hmm. he's hiding that from Rudy. Rudy does have those problems, you know, selling drugs. He's he's sort of like a Godfather esque uh, type of guy. And yeah, Tommy Tommy's going to be in real trouble this episode. <sighs> Or coming up. Well, if there's in a just world, I guess Rudy is the type of gangster that I would like run in my city. You know, he seems mm-hmm. like yeah, surely he's sure he's ruthless. Sure, he'll kill people stepping out of line. But 
he does seem like he has a softer side or he's got a little bit of compassion. You know, he's not squeezing as hard as, as he clearly could, um, especially in the case yeah. of like Paul. Right. But like, is the deuce the kind of story where the, the kind cuddly gangster is going to going to emerge victorious over the ruthless no, Gambino? I mean, like, I, I feel like we know what happens. Tommy's there. in trouble, but like that ultimately means Rudy's in trouble because Rudy's going to try to do what he's going to try to do. And it's just going to blow up in his face. Yeah. But I mean, maybe Tommy dies too. But um, I'm already preemptively kind of feeling bad about well, Rudy. That's the thing. Like Rudy, sort of gets hints this episode, right? Yeah. Like he he had a few hints, but he gets very clear hints he's, this he's time putting that it Tommy together, is, right. is like, running around him. Yeah. Like like I, I've said for a couple seasons that Rudy seems like a gangster who's just oversleeping his alarm clock. Yeah. Um. Yeah. But he's starting to wake up. Mm-hmm. He's starting to wake up. I, I got sidetracked on what I was saying. Um. I do feel like Frankie did have some kind of principle here. Like, yeah. mm-hmm. he did want something for himself. It wasn't that he was too cheap to pay Rudy or he didn't even know it was a smart idea. It's just like, you know, is core to his self-esteem that he didn't just ride his brother's coattails or he wasn't, you know, as much as he protected his brother, his, protect, his brother as an adult protected him a hell of a lot. <laughs> yeah, he did. Kept him out of a lot of trouble, took a couple beatings for him. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's like the first scene that we see in the series or something. It's yeah. like Vincent's all busted up or whatever yeah. from taking a beating for Frankie. I am somewhat amazed that they didn't go with Vincent dying for Frankie uh, or in his stead because I'd forgotten that what started Darlene on her path to enlightenment is one of her Johns having her read having her read uh, Tale of Two Cities. Mm-hmm. Like it was right there in a fucking text. It's referenced yeah. again this yeah. episode. I'm... Like I said, I I don't know that Vincent's out of the clear. It could be both of the uh, Martino brothers end up buried um, this year. But uh, yeah, after this episode, man, you kill the son of a made man. It's not everybody's it's not good. got problems, especially with you. like uh, I, they said specific specifically, it was the son of a Gambino guy, mm-hmm. which means that's the organization running in on the muscle that kind of stands behind Vincent. So, and I would think like. Uh, you know, as much as <laughs> Rudy's offended by, uh, you know, Vincent's assumption that he killed Frankie, mm-hmm. he'd be even more offended by Rudy killing or Vincent killing the son of a made man because that goes against every principle of right. of his organization. Yeah, that's more than his personal ethos. That's yeah. just against the rules. Yeah, you know yep. the the code. Um, let's talk about that scene because I, I thought that was a really great performance of them outside the club. Yeah, um, and you know Vincent pretty ball you know pretty ballsy accusing rudy of killing frankie cloaked into like i understand how it is i know how you people are but like rudy mm-hmm. was really pissed about it and i think it took him aback i don't think he it's i don't understand why rudy was a little I, I i don't know i don't understand why rudy was so offended because i think it's an entirely reasonable assumption to make <laughs> yeah i mean i mean and he lays it out too, right? Like uh, I've seen that, what's been going on between you and Frankie. Right there, I know right there he's in front of me at the club. Come on, throwing money in your face and and not giving you your due. And yeah, yeah. I, I think Michael Raspoli does an incredible acting job here. Uh-huh. Like I'm I'm kind of a sucker for the the gangster acting. Sure, but I think he does a really great job. Yeah, um, but it's now that I'm thinking about it, that's kind of fucked up. That Vince essentially tells him, well. I know how it is like uh, you screw you guys out of money and you don't pay what's due and you get what's coming to him. And Rudy's like, pray thee, brother. Why would you say that about me? Like, isn't that. But, but it's interesting. Because isn't he's that kind his of problem? Right. Like, he's too soft. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it's going to be his problem yeah. when the, the gaudies come rolling in. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's also strange. You know, Vince is not in his right head here because no. if he looked at the pattern, like. He gets into this car and he hands him an envelope of money and says, Paul's short. And Rudy goes, that's fine. You know, I understand. I get it. He's having a hard time over there. Yeah. So, like, I don't know. I don't know. For Vince to make this assumption, it's a pretty big deal. Uh, So Vince uh, decides to start investigating the murder himself. Uh, He goes to Frankie's drug dealer, which I never... I don't remember the guy's name. I didn't catch it. But I really like his kind of... uh, thick Leonite, King Leonidas thing he's got going on. Uh-huh. Uh, but he says, you need to talk to Tommy Longo because he's the one that made the connect. Uh, and he doesn't know what... I don't... Does he know the guy's name at this point? Pasquale? Pasquale, Pasquale. Yeah. 
Um, but he knows he doesn't know where he lives or where he can be found. But he knows he has a very distinctive Mustang mm-hmm. uh, with a hood scoop and double spoiler, and uh, that's going to be the clue that ends up doing him in. Uh, Vincent then plots with Doctor Mike in the hi hat. Uh, Abby kind of sees them conspiring, and she knows exactly what the fuck it's up to. And Vincent can't. Vincent does that thing where he, you know, it's like Abby's a woman and she's not going to understand. So he'll just tell her anything and promise anything. And she Mm -hmm. knows she's being lied to and he knows she knows. But it's like, and also there's this really great performance that he has where it's like, she's done told him, like, the next thing to do for a cinema woman would be to start just pleading and crying and begging. But she's like, well, he's an adult. There's yeah, what's literally she nothing I can do mm-hmm. outside of like literally telling the cops to pick him up because he think I I wonder if she's gonna murder somebody with no evidence. Yeah, and then that's just a suspicion and like what right. are they gonna do? Like there's nothing to be done here. Right. Vincent, all, all she can do is like say, Hey, this is not the way to go about it, and hope right. that Vincent sees reason. And if not, it's on him. But that that her like where she realizes when she walks out he walks out that he's gonna do he's gonna cross a line yeah. and there's nothing she can do about it, uh, I thought was pretty amazing. Um, Vince then goes to talk to Tommy Longo, who doesn't do a very convincing job of denying even knowing the guy. But as soon as he realizes that Vince knows, uh, he's like, look, man, you can't do this. This guy's father's a made man. It's just going to get you. It's going to get all of us in a world of shit and you in particular in a world of shit. Um, but obviously Vince doesn't do that. Uh, him and Dr. Mike go and uh, kidnap Pascal Pasquale. Mm hmm. And drive him out to where is that? Like the like the Hudson or the harbor? Yeah, or? It's just you know under some bridge, probably yeah. near the Hudson. I, I feel like, like I've seen this place a hundred times in so many different movies yeah, yeah. and so many different TV shows. Like this is where you take people in New York City to die. Yeah. They ought to put cameras up. Or it's where you go <laughs> if you're if you're gay and you're looking to hook up. Right? That's true. <laughs> like there's some underground series of tunnels yeah. that yeah. lead to a, an old ship or. I don't even fucking remember where they yeah, were, right. but that was weird. Yeah, Greg's underground sex set. Uh, uh-huh. uh, what the hell would you call that? Wreck, ruin. It's where all of the unapproved stuff happens yes. in New York City. Things outside of society happen in this godforsaken patch of ground. Yeah. Um, and uh, it, it w- I thought it was interesting also how they showed Pasquale. Um. You'll never say it the same way twice. I know you? it's it's a Rubik, <laughs> it's, it's okay. a verbal Rubik's cube for me. It's, I'm having a lot of fun with it. Uh, he talk he tries to like deny, then he tries to deflect the blame. He like goes through all these different strategies because what he got to lose, you know. Mm-hmm. And he eventually gets he goes to begging, then he goes to like threatening, uh, and Vince shoots him in the face and. Uh, comes out of shock to a lot of people, but the head's a big target and the brains are a relatively small <laughs> part of that. Like, you shoot someone below the eyes, and it's probably going to not kill them, and mm-hmm. uh, he has to finish him off. And he does. And yep. uh, this, Vince almost crossed this line last season, couldn't do it. But the guilt and shame and just sorrow uh, and everything over losing his brother causes mm-hmm. him to do it. And he probably is signing his own death certificate here. There's going to be a lot of shit happen. Yeah. I don't know We're three whether... three episodes from the end of this. Yeah. Six, seven, eight. Yeah. The, the shit's going to go down. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's probably going to get pretty explosive. Anything else to say about Vince before we move on to Paul? Nope. Who's kind of the other uh, support uh, column of this episode. Uh, we find out that Todd has in-stage AIDS. Uh, mm-hmm. He's dying of this particular nasty form of pneumonia. Uh, his body has attacked his his facilities to the point where he se- essentially barely recognizes where he's at, who he's with. Mm-hmm. Uh, he can't make decisions about getting out of the hospital, even though there's nothing that doctors can do for him anymore because the state doesn't recognize uh, Paul as family. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he has to go back, even though they mentioned that he hasn't spoken to his family since 1969. That's a long fucking time. We know exactly why, but the... You know, the the formalities must be observed. Um, so he calls his family and he meets Todd's parents and the mom seems sweet and try to make the best of the situation. But you can already tell the dad has got some issues oh, yeah. here. Uh, and there's this just like I this stuff is fucking heartbreaking. Um, and yeah, I, I especially like the scene where um, they're they've just taken Todd home and they're kind of standing by his bedside and the mom's there looking at, at Todd and Paul interacting 
she kind of realizes, oh, he's been the family that he that Todd didn't have over these last sixteen years or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I I really like that moment and taking better care of them and yeah. and she, and she lo- just says lo- thank you, right? Yeah, just, just for him being there. Yeah, and there's you know they he talks about you know at dinner uh, he talks about he just essentially brags on Todd and his career and what yeah. an amazing stage play he, uh, stage career he's had and his television success. And that brings his dad around to talking about his gay porn career. Um, and it threatens to sink the yeah. mood. Um, and, man, uh, Paul, this guy, <laughs> it's so crazy to me because, like, the uh, the only other thing I've seen him in, he plays, like, a psychotic neo-Nazi in this stupid show called Banshee that was on Cinemax. That, okay. And here he's just, like... He's bringing all the emotion out of me, and like just Paul's like bone weary face when his dad stops up, starts up with this because this is shit he's heard from his family, this is shit he's Mm -hmm. heard from everybody, and this even on death's fucking door, this guy can't let it go. Yeah, yeah. There's that scene where you know he storms off. uh, Yeah, and and he's like, "Oh, I'll be at the hotel," and then his his Todd's mom jumps in, and it's like, "Oh, it's hard for him. You know, he loves Todd." But everybody knows that sentence ends with, but he hates homosexuals. Like, right. the fuck, man. Yeah. So d- does he love Todd or not? Because apparently, like, he doesn't love who Todd is. Yeah. So, I don't know. I wouldn't call that love. No, it's weird. It's 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 interesting because that's always been, like, the Christian thing, too. Like, you know, hate the sin, love the sinner. But, like, <laughs> if you try to flip that around, it's like, oh, I don't hate Christians. I just, I just hate their beliefs. I fucking mm-hmm. hate church services. I hate eating of wafers. And so it I just refuse to associate with them. When I see them eating their crackers and drinking, it just makes me want to throw up. Yeah. But I love Christians. <laughs> like, right. it's fucking insane. Mm-hmm. Like, you, that, that's, if, that, if that's a way you can personally square the circle. Um, I mean, but it just doesn't hold up to any kind of external scrutiny. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so they have a nice moment. It's like, okay, don't, I, I've heard all about his career, but tell me about what you guys do for fun. And, uh, she talks about his childhood, the stuff that, you know, probably Paul hasn't heard a lot about, you know, about how much he loved Howdy yeah. Doody and he had this thing with the pet dogs. And the thing is, is I thought this was kind of a parable for the dad. Like she's telling the story about how she got rid of this beloved family pet mm-hmm. because it hurt Todd. Uh, and then... Okay. Yet, this you know, uh, the dad he doesn't mean anything by it. He's fine, but she kept <laughs> this guy around instead of Todd. Mm-hmm. When you know there was like a point in the life that probably she could have. And I, I get it. Like it's 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 hard to unwind everybody's lives and everybody's social you know biases and how they're raised and all that stuff. But I, I thought it was an interesting thing that they did to parallel that. Mm-hmm. Like what a parent will do um with for their child but then like how they will act differently with with different situations um i thought then the scene that the absolutely devastating scene where paul puts on a record player and it's playing street of dreams Mm -hmm. and it's it's just i it's it's tough because um I remember my granddad dying of Alzheimer's and every once in a while, like when he's really late stage, somebody would do something like a TV show, like Lawrence Welk would like bring him out of it and he would have like a relatively normal conversation for like a couple of minutes yeah. and like how the family would just like try to figure out like, what are the things we can do to, hmm. you know, get the grandpa jukebox working and how it's like, it's, 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 it, and just, just how sad and futile it is. And, you know, mostly uh, I, was, I was just sad because these are two people in love and they're, you know, this all happened to them way too young. And it's just compl- it's it's the worst way to be taken from somebody. And also, I just personally felt like such a fucking asshole because I grew up in a very conservative environment and I grew up th- having a lot of conservative political thoughts. And I absolutely was part of the things that delayed gay marriage being accepting for far longer than it was. And I haven't felt that way for 15 plus years but like when i watch this i'm just like jesus christ i was such an asshole and i didn't yeah. i didn't think about this stuff at all when i was doing it and I mean, it's easy to fall into those patterns i mean if you you know if you grow up in a in a environment that 
you yeah. know, hates homosexuals, you're more than likely going to come out hating homosexuals. Like, yeah, I mean, like I said, it it, it's it's like it's like um, you have to be sort of deprogrammed once you start to actually meet and talk to and understand that these are normal people. Yeah, uh, they I just mean, have different ideas than you do. Yeah, and I'm not saying that like I'm crippled by guilt or anything. Um, just yeah, that, yeah. like I'm really sorry that I did that, and right. I'm really trying hard not to do anything like that in the future. <laughs> and I think everybody should take a time to think about like all their different like beliefs and you know the things they're doing in the world and what they're putting out and how it might because that's the thing it's like i hadn't this is like the first time i've seen like this dramatized version of like what uh gay people went through during this aids crisis yeah. and you know i know there's others like you know i've tom hanks in philadelphia but like this is the first time i've seen something you know because obviously aids hasn't been as big a thing as it used to be mm. um but yeah i just i just uh like that's that's a particular type of sorrow and torment that can kind of be laid at my feet and I, I just felt I just felt really terrible about it and they did such a great job of kind of telling their love story and um yeah and I think they picked a a great actor to portray Paul here yeah because you can see in those after <laughs> after interview those after the episode interviews yeah like he's torn up about this shit like when he goes to talk about it he starts tearing up right yeah. his voice is cracking like you can tell he really cares about this issue. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, great, great choice. And I wonder how what they're trying to suggest when you know, uh, like like Paul kind of or, or Todd kind of comes to and he says "I love you" and they both nod and they both weeping. Like, mm -hmm. it's hard to tell because like I mean, people are are losing their minds like that. Things happen all, but it was nice. And I, I took that, it as it felt a, like that last was like moment of lucidity from Todd. And or, then he's just never going to come out. Yeah. 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 And then the next time you see them, like it's an empty bed. Um, and then you see Paul after the panel from the empty bed, he's staring at pictures on the fridge of like him mm -hmm. and Todd in happier times. And he's smoking and he's drinking. It feels like he's stealing himself for something. Yeah. And he goes over to call and you see the hotel card over the phone. You think, Oh, he's going to make this difficult call to say it's actually to Todd's you know, parents. You're, you're, yeah. he's, he's dead, but he doesn't. He calls his dad. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> this is one that was and pretty powerful to me. About yeah. It. yeah. Yeah, because like I don't speak to my family, right? Haven't for right. fifteen years, a, yeah, a little the more than that, like seventeen years. Yeah. yeah, this is the so third like, third part of the the, the storyline <laughs> that really of, fucks me up. Yeah, yeah. So so I've I'm, you know, I'm half like I probably uh, subconsciously had my fucking hand on my phone or something during uh -huh. this, right? Like, uh -huh. oh, should I make a call? But my parents have an ideological ideological objection to my life, so. It hit me fucking hard. Yeah, yeah, like when do you just give up? When yeah. do you just like uh when's the last time you're going to try to make contact or is like is there anything to, it's it's um I yeah, it's it's one of those things like I thought I had the answers and I I still feel pretty confirmed in my conviction that like Yeah. My mom knows where she can she can find me if she wants That's to get thing. a hold of like, me. Who, and, who's gonna feel guilty about this? Right. Who who deserves to feel guilty right. about this is always what I think. And my mom had an opportunity. And certainly not me like you know my granddad's funeral and over that entire process of him dying to yeah. you know kind of make amends and i tried to be polite and she was just a complete fucking asshole the entire time so like mm -hmm. but still it's that thing it's like do you <laughs> right do you, are we literally going to take this to our graves or their mm -hmm. them to their graves and it's sad i think it's um you know maybe it's a foolish act but i think it's a brave one to 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 yeah. be the one who was wronged and is in a situation that you know he should be the one being comforted he should be the one um his dad should be the one you know kind of crawling back to him hopefully in a less asshole way than melissa's father did but mm -hmm. like he's being the bigger man and i honestly doubt that paul will go crawling back at all like paul, it's more of just like presenting information and, like, and and opening a door right there like, you go. I, I don't i don't see paul as like trying to reestablish connection here because he feels guilty i don't I don't think he feels any of that stuff. He's he's simply saying, I don't want this to be me X years from now, you know? Like, oh, he, he assumes that he already has HIV, right? Like, he he doesn't want to go through what Todd just went through and and not be able to recognize his parents when it finally comes time right. for them to to have to do something, you know, right. to have to reestablish. So he he goes in there and does it first. I I, I don't think he's he's gonna like quote unquote crawl back to them. I think yeah, you're right. he's just opening a door. No. I think that's a, a good way to phrase it. And um if he's got the emotional wherewithal I mean that's the thing. Yeah. Like, just Paul's so fucking strong. 
uh, to be doing this yep. right as he's taking care of all this. Like, it's like, well, or maybe he's like, I'm at a very low point. What could my father do to possibly make me feel worse? So it's like, yeah. you know, um, I've already been in a car wreck. I might as well get that elective surgery I've been putting out. All right, I already yeah. feel like shit. <laughs> um, but I, I'm, I'm curious because I was kind of angry at how they showed the Melissa uh, parent situation, but I'm kind of open to Simon showing the other side of that. Like, mm-hmm an actual reconnection that's based on a mutual love and understanding rather than a guilt trip or a bu- a big show of schmaltz and sentimentality. Um, yeah. Why don't we, why don't we talk about Eileen? It's okay. a good time to do that. Right. Because she's having a similar reconnection here with her son, Adam. It's funny. Cause I feel like she felt like an Island here because Harvey uh-huh. tells her that he ain't producing her film yeah. and in, in a very, humiliating way like did you read my script yeah mm-hmm. i breezed it and here's why i think it sucks uh why don't you ask your rich boyfriend that you're fucking to finance it uh and then when she starts to dispute that he goes you know i'm the stupidest john in the world because i give you all this money and all i get from you is a fucking headache and mm-hmm. she tells him fuck you really <laughs> which i thought was good then Hank cancels on her because he's got some kind of business trip thing. Mm-hmm. Then her son meets up with her, but to get a thousand dollars for his t-shirt business. And she's playing this like a pretty good mom. Yeah. Uh, and he throws her this giant guilt trip about never being there, lying to him, which was, you know, trying to protect him, <laughs> how humiliated he was when he found out that she, what she did. And, said my friends always called you a whore and i think that's what you are and speaking of bone weary faces <laughs> uh maggie gillenhall like the way yeah. it just the i admire people that are able to take this much emotional pain from someone they care about and like not return it mm-hmm. um and she does she just she pays for the food gets up and says you should go see your grandma she's very sick and at least her son has the good grace to feel like the sack of shit that he was. Like, I feel yeah. like he thinks I, he immediately feels bad about everything he said. Yeah. I get the sense that this is the first time they've talked about this stuff. Yeah. In a um, while or maybe ever. It, yeah. It could be ever. Yeah. And that it's been a long time coming and that, you know, this is sort of the first volley in what will hopefully be a deescalating war between the two. I mean, she, I, I don't she's know. not giving him much to work with because when everything he accuses her of, she just kind of likes matter factly, but not like she just says, yeah, ever, I'm not going to gaslight you and tell you what mm-hmm. that was not all right. Or that's just what moms do. Or I, you know, I, I understand what all you're saying, but there's nothing I can do to change it. Um, yeah. And she gave a pretty fair accounting of what she did without, you know, laying the guilt on him or trying to make him feel bad for saying these things to her. I, it's just a great, it's, it's a great scene. And despite mm-hmm. her taking up all of the things he's saying to her about not being a great mom and, you know, obviously there's problems growing up. I think she's trying now. Um, yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, it, this conversation does sort of make her contemplate her life. Like she goes back and she looks at the, videos that she's made or the the movies that she's made um and i think the impression i get is sort of that she's just taking stock of everything she's done and saying how do i feel personally about it Uh, uh, yet again because especially after last episode where you know she's she thought she was going to waltz into this women against porn uh meeting and just dazzle them with her story you know she has to she has to think long and hard about not only her own life in this industry but also every other woman she's ever filmed right yeah there's this real like when she's watching all these different scenes there's one where she freeze frames on a girl or woman who looks like she's afraid or she's unsure of what's happening she looks kind of unsettled um and i thought it was because like this is like her actually going through and being like you know it's not you know there's a lot of acting going on but what that scene right there wasn't and it's like something i mean Shit, I've like I saw my first Playboy when I was eleven. I saw my first hardcore porn when I was thirteen. I've seen a lot of shit, and I will be lying if every once in a while you don't see something. It's like this is fucked up. I can't believe the cameras are rolling. Mm. This doesn't look fun. Yeah, this this is the kind of shit that shouldn't be allowed. And this and also like and also this is the stuff that actually makes it out. Like how much stuff is on the cutting room floor of like really fucked up things that they just edit around or. 
can't use because the woman is way whacked out on drugs or whatever. Um, and, and also, you know, that, that idea that she brings to Harvey the next day, right? Where she says, you know, what, what happens to these girls? Yeah. They what disappear. Happens, they, they disappear. And she knows that that's not true, right? Because she's living through the aftermath. She, she is the, those, those girls, those women who, uh, you know, as Harvey says, they age out. Mm-hmm. And they just disappear. She's that that woman. So, but, but since last episode, she knows that she's the exception, and uh-huh. she's also being held up as that. Like, oh, it can't be all bad because look at Candy. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, and you, not all the girls disappear in the sense of like they get their throat slit or they get shot or they get drug overdosed. But like, all sometimes they slink off to go live quiet lives of desperation with their family members that hate them. Sometimes they go in a, a series of bad relationships with men who abuse it. But yeah, where do they go? Like how many adult stars even today, you know, yeah. do you, do, 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 does anybody bother to keep track of once they quote unquote age out of the industry? And um, you have to take all of this in tandem with what's going on with Darlene yeah. because that's super important, right? Darlene right. is also that woman who's aged out. Um, she, she didn't quite age out. She's, she's she more got like out. got out. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's best case scenario. And even in that best case scenario, she's having a damn hard time that past with her one her life back. that she gets, right? Like mm-hmm. th- this is something that sticks with you. Yeah. And, and I think that's what is going through her head. Like all the damage she's done to Adam, all of the, the damage she could be doing to the children of these women who she has committed to film. Like mm-hmm. it's just, yeah, it's a lot of damage. Uh, do you want to talk, uh, kind of keep in this vein uh, and talk about Lori's experience with her, yeah, I think Midwestern stripping tour. Uh-huh. Uh, so Greg sends her off to where I, I didn't get where she's going. I know she's eventually going to Indiana, which mm-hmm. I thought was interesting with a gun, uh, with a gun. <laughs> yeah. How many times have, how many times has that been me? Uh, <laughs> and he says, I'm not going to go with you because I don't want to fear the stripper fantasy. Mm-hmm. Um, and also I got a lot of meetings on my calendar, babe. Uh, but he also mentions okay (laughs) so is this his own thing the same thing he pitched like two episodes ago about like starting a a production studio himself for Lori Hmm. because he hasn't like I I think that that thing that he was doing for her is now just his thing Uh, yeah and his own thing like I'm almost wondering if his own thing isn't just another client like Lori that he's oh taken on. Oh my god, he started yeah. yeah. He sees the writing on the wall with her and he start oh yep. shit. And oh if he's using his oh my god, what if she's the one that inherits the production company, not Lori, even though Lori's the one that's been funding it. I mean yeah, god, yeah uh, there's so many bad ways this thing can go. Um it's ominous. My own thing. He doesn't he doesn't fill in any blanks here. Yeah. Uh, but you know, Lori's a professional and she shows up to the club and she's got like a really smart and like nice outfit per point, uh, picked out. She's going to dance to the music video she did, which the, you know, club owners like, oh, that's super smart. But you already see, um, where the danger is. This guy mm-hmm. being overly familiar with her, um, something that, uh, it's been coined recently is this idea of like a parasocial relationship um, yep. where, you know, if you've got a star, a, a film star or a radio personality or a podcast host that you spend a lot of time listening to or watching, you can kind of feel like you get to know them really well, even though it's a completely one sided familiarity and friendship. Mm-hmm. Um, and that just must get supercharged when you're talking about, you know, uh, the women that you're fixating on and pornography. If you're the type of guy that would fixate on a woman in pornography you know yeah. um that said and- come see me dance at angel angel eyes <laughs> uh on the 25th he does an amazing pole routine uh <laughs> i did I had no idea you had that much upper body strength let alone the lower body strength you're putting oh, on the flexibility i've been working <sighs> yeah it's 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 amazing uh, but we see that, like, you know, she goes and tries to strike up conversations with her fellow strippers and, you know, they're total bitches to her because they see her as just taking all of her tips, which is probably true. Which I, I got the perfect solution for that. Uh, yeah, you're right. They are saving them. But I'm going to give you guys X percentage of my tips tonight. Right. Yeah. Like, that'll 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 help them out. Right. Yeah. I, I don't. But it, also, I think Lori'd be like, fuck you. I've, I took a corn cob up the ass to get to this yeah, place. So like, you, let's let's see you take a rutabaga and then we'll talk about <laughs> splitting. Tra- so it's yeah, there's there's no way to equitably uh-huh. equitably exploit each other uh, for this club club owners uh, amusement and profit. 
But uh, she also goes out and kills it on the dance floor, and there's a big line at her autograph table. Um, everybody is saying just randomly creepy and weird things, and she gets 50 bucks from one dude, Craig, who says, you could be so much more than this, which is, you know, yeah, that's what she thought, too. Creepy. And then she failed at everything, and now she's doing this, Craig. Uh, and it turns out there is a wedding proposal on that. She gets creeped out at a restaurant. Uh, she flees to her hotel where a guy maybe tries to follow her back to her room. Yeah, I don't think so. I think this is the paranoia. It's showing us the, the paranoia with which she lives her I life. Thought, I thought I very rarely criticize the, uh, uh, the, the, the team behind the wire, but I felt like this was a false note to me. Uh, because okay. I don't know what kind of drugs you can take unless she's just having a full-on psychotic break, which I felt also they're not portraying correctly. Well, I, I wonder I, if this is why she landed in rehab in the first place because things got too real. Is that what Coke does level? to you, though? Like, oh, I, didn't, I, I like, don't think so. That's the thing. I'm like, I... Um, they did such a good job in the wire of depicting of like, you know, why people love heroin, mm -hmm. you know, that like no matter how squalid and shitty your life is that like, it's just liquid happiness um, uh, and how you can ignore like effects in your real life. But they never, you know, it's like this, I don't know, maybe like I said, I, I don't, I don't do Coke. Um, I don't think it's just Coke either. I think, you know, it's the circumstances of her life currently. Yeah. Like she's dealing with a lot of stress. Right. No, I mean, I, I got both interpretations of the scene. I agree with yeah. you. I think it's 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 clearly being painted as like her be like being stressed out or kind of delusional. I just felt like mm -hmm. it wasn't the greatest use of audiovisual components of storytelling to tell that particular story. Yeah. Um. And th but I will say that they the what they did with the sound mix where they kept on like these things kept on getting louder and louder like the bang like it, uh, I thought that was really interesting and effective. Mm -hmm. um, and then, yeah, you know, Lori's in Indiana. She brought bought a gun. Uh, Alan Zuppelall pointed out that at some point they determined that they've, um, and I don't know if he's right or not because I don't have time to research it, but uh, he asserts that at some point it's been revealed that she's from Indiana and that this is a hint of her um, maybe going to go retouch, touch base with her family. Since it that's... might have been even in the beginning of the series when she shows up in the bus station. Right, right, yeah. It might have been that very scene or the episode so that might be what's happening uh you know clear she's got a gun i wonder if that's going to go badly like she's going to end up killing somebody and get you know charged for murder and then she's gonna have all these drugs on her and yeah coked up prostitute uh hooker adult film star kills hoosier in daring mm -hmm. daylight raid i mean I, who knows could be uh do you would you like to talk about bobby okay uh, Bobby's objective is to get Dr. Franklin, uh, Francis rather, out of Rikers where he went for, uh, he got sent to wrongly for his emergency tracheotomy on a John last episode. They kind of hilariously have the John staked out like <laughs> under the cover of he's his br the brother-in-law and they're waiting, he's waiting day and night. So, cause they got to get to him, make sure they got their story straight or it's going to be bad for yeah. everybody. He's beset by all kinds of labor problems because the girls don't want to work. Turns out, Jim, we were totally off base uh, by how Bobby's son, we were poo-pooing the tips and all that stuff, but it turns out they're way, making way more money at the out calls than they ever did in the parlors mm -hmm. to the extent to the, to the point that they don't even want to work the parlors anymore. Um, there's an interesting scene at the hospital where Dr. Mike decides he wants to get tested for AIDS, which I remember last season that it turns out that he was in love with either a trans woman or a uh, cross-dresser he had the relationship with her because she's the one that tipped him to the illegal card game that he busted last episode last oh, season yeah 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 so okay. like he's you know he's he's in uh right. he, he mike has sex with people in the queer community and that's where i forgot about that because i was i was in that scene, I was thinking, why is he so concerned about this? Like, yeah, I mean, he's probably banging somebody somewhere, right. yeah, and he's that's probably he's, a risk factor. He's, but he's part of the high risk population. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I'm, I'm wondering what the, and you know, that's just this, this is everywhere. It's like he's, uh, it, what triggers that is like this seeing this uh, young person get wheeled out, looking like uh, Todd did just mm -hmm. a, a few minutes ago. Uh, we find that John recovers the consciousness, and uh, Bobby lays out. I, I thought he was he rolled unnecessarily tough on this guy. Right. Everybody here has an incentive to lie. Yeah. Everybody. You don't have to threaten his family and talk yeah. about you know what a nice uh, face he's got. It'd be a shame if something were happened to it. Yeah. You don't need that. Yeah. Yeah. 
uh yeah doc, you know dr frankie had you in very good hands uh he's a good samaritan a hero or yeah i but i don't know it was the whole can't the the whole thing can i get a thumbs up you uh-huh. know that's good I, I thought that was pretty funny but still bobby come on you know i think uh a, a velvet glove would have done as good as an iron fist at this uh, at this point. Yeah, I just think they're showing yet again Bobby being inept. You know, he's he's like not quite sure how to handle this situation, and so he does the thing he thinks like he's probably seen on TV or in a movie or something. And, and he 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 feels very powerless. You know, his yeah. son doesn't listen to him. Uh, he's always afraid his wife's going to find out about his shit. Uh, he's always saying yeah. inappropriate things. Like what what the fuck did he say? To Frankie's wife, to the widow of Frankie, at, uh, at, at while they're watching the video, I can't remember. Like referenced her being a, an adult film, and his wife looked at him like, "What the fuck is wrong with you?" <laughs> uh, but yeah, you're right. He's he's just a he's a sad little man. Yeah. Uh, then he goes and picks up Doctor Francis, who's been let out of Rikers, uh, and he's been cleared of all the charges. He brought a nice pair of sunglasses, which is cool. And it's right back to business. Right back to business. You know, he's, the doctor's very busy. He's got he's got three tracheotomies lined up just a day alone. <laughs> not not to mention all the ones he missed when he when when he was in prison. Uh, I oh, love I love Bobby yeah. holding out his wig. Oh, <laughs> as the wind's blowing, he's like holding on. Yeah, that's so ridiculous. <laughs> Why bother? I, I don't know. Some, some people are overly concerned with their vanity. I guess. Uh, it, there's another really big development here. Potentially, is that the cops have the beepers of the girls who were in that room at the time? I don't know that that's going to give them a ton, but they could probably like look at the numbers that have been calling oh, yeah. it and see, you know, maybe make some connections they didn't have before. How big of a deal do you think that's going to be? It brought down Avon Barksdale on the wire. <laughs> Fair. Uh, I I mean, it's so it's elementary police work mm-hmm. to go and look at all the phone numbers are being calling and all the places. And if there's like, you know, if they can tie one of those numbers back to the parlor, then probably. Yeah. But do you see the New York City police doing a lot of expert police work in this era? Seems like they're letting things they're letting things go bad because they want to depress the property values to make it attractive for the big money to come in. Jack Maple wouldn't do that. Jack Maple, yeah. And uh, you can see that later on. I think that's where we're going to go next, talking about Detective Chris and his investigations. Um, but you can tell that like it feels the best elements of the police department are being kept on a leash, and the worst mm-hmm. elements are fucking setting structure fires to defraud it's interesting minor landlords out of big shitty major landlords deals yeah yeah i hmm. man how much do i think how how much do i think chris is a bad guy here Mm -hmm. is always the question i'm asking when i'm watching this this these latest few episodes because in some ways he's right in some ways he's a shit bag like when he says, you know, you got to fix to fix this mess, you got to tear it all down. Mm-hmm. He's right about that. Like, I don't think Jack Maple's version of police work is working in this right. case. You know, he might be able to catch a few wolf packs or whatever and take them down. But there are an infinite number of wolf packs waiting in the wings. And we're talking drugs and prostitution. That's just societal problems. To the extent yeah. that they're a problem at all, it's it's something that's baked into, you know, people have been getting intoxicated and drowning their sorrows in sex and finding, if they're happy, you know, they, they've been doing that for literally the beginning of time. Um, yeah, so you can cracking maybe, down doesn't it, work. Yeah, like, like uh, if you're policing... Um, like what people like what people's desires are you're going to have a mm-hmm. problem if you're policing like aberrant human behavior like you know we didn't involve the rob and steal and cheat from each other no. um then you you might and, and to, to be to his credit it seems like that's what he wants to focus on like maybe jack mabel doesn't give a shit about simple possession and prostitution he's like mm-hmm. you know trying to crack down on the things that really you know crack down on people uh, yeah. like these roaming gangs of uh gang members uh stealing stuff from shit people but uh, I so is Chris a bad guy? No, I think he's doing what he thinks is the right thing for the right reasons. But what this show is mm-hmm. doing so well, just like The Wire did, is like good intentions don't give you get you shit. Yeah, like you always got to measure intentions against the results, and you got to always measure the results against what's actually possible. And there's but but the thing that's interesting about Chris is like he shines on this psychiatrist he's like hey doc guess what i'm cured and then the guy like tries to prod him about him being behind it's like hey i just can't comment on an open investigation mm-hmm. 
But then he finds out from Greg that he got his original asking price, $1.2 million. And Chris, like, fucking goes berserk. He's like, I, I hang my ass out on the line for that? Yeah. And the guy's like, oh, we got what we wanted. And it reminded me of that paradox we talked about last week where, you know, how much do you think he paid uh, the karate kid to set that fire? Maybe ten grand, maybe. Mm-hmm. And then this guy's going to get $1.2 million which is a song compared to the $30 million real estate development that's going to get paid to the city. Uh, like all this shit is way out of line. Like those real estate developers should pay 15 on a 30 million investment. The cops should have gotten 7.5 for setting the building fire that set it all in motion. <laughs> but they, 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 it's, it's this fucking public service corruption is, is crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, we already talked about the, the Jack Maple scene. It's funny because like I just researched Jack Maple uh, last week because I got curious and mm. all the pictures I found of him are wearing these like fine suits and bow ties and bowler hats. Completely opposite Whoa. of Sloppy Joe that we've seen from him so far when he's undercover. Yeah. I guess he was known for that. Like dressing to the nines all the time. Well, when he wasn't undercover. Yeah, yeah. Huh. Um, and he talks about these charts of the future. This is a reference to the comp stock. Uh, uh, Comstock, I forget the uh, reports that he was making that kind of pinpoint where the cr- the crime hot points are of the city. Oh, okay. Uh, he called yeah. them charts of the future, and uh, I also love at the end he's like, "Hey, let me know when you saw this arson mystery. I bet you guys don't have a clue." And then he says to his wife or girlfriend's like, "Loose." And I love how just breezy she is about, "Hey, it's great seeing you," uh, and how classy she is. And now. Were you surprised that Jennifer was actually kind of turned on slashed impressed that Chris is doing a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. I'm surprised with how what a force of personality Jack Maple is that he hasn't gotten everybody singing from the same book. Yeah. You know, like, how can she be? I'm, although I guess if your city, you've been policing the shithole city for so long. Maybe the fact that anybody with money is trying to do something is good. <laughs> Could be. But uh, I don't know. Uh, there's also a minor footnote to this storyline, which is Greg uh, Goldman, the realist, the campaign manager guy. Uh, his wife uh, kind of drags it out of him. He comes out of the closet to her. So Greg, I for some reason I thought it was Gene. Gene, you're right. The Gene, Gene okay. not, not Gene Goldman. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he comes out to his wife uh, because she's... which she doesn't seem all that surprised. She's more like you, you could you could say that you wouldn't do it again. Not that I'm safe about it. <laughs> yeah, I, man, I can't, I don't, I, there again is one of the things like, I, I can't even imagine what it's like to um, find out that you've invested so much time and effort into what is essentially a lie. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's one thing to go into that as an agreement and an arrangement, uh, but it's another to like go in there with good faith. And But also I understand it from, uh, Gene's perspective too like what's he going to do just live out and about as a proud gay man and not right. like, get any political opportunities and not get any professional opportunities mm-hmm. and and then also sacrifice any kind of companionship and ability to be a father like that's a big ask in yeah. 1985 what's a big ask it's there's there's it's it's not an easy breezy life in 2019 let alone in 1985 or 1975 or 1969 like I get it but it's still I also feel for his wife uh, anything else with Detective Chris? No, good. We have Abby, I think, is the last bit of unfinished business uh, where there's like, she finds out Loretta has kind of cool, she, she's seen the Women Against Pornography uh, for what it is, which is probably a doomed crusade, mm-hmm. and she's no longer using her time off to go to that thing in D.C., but she's got uh, a man that she's seeing, but mm-hmm. playing coy about. What do you think is up with that? I don't know. I'll have to wait and see on that. I hope this guy's a good dude. Yeah. I, don't, I don't have a handle on him. You know, one line of dialogue and him just kind of passively waiting at the bar. I, I, I don't know. Don't know if he's a good <laughs> he dude. He seems or not. fine for now. For now. Yeah. You're you're on notice. Uh, <laughs> is his name Carlos? I don't know. I can't guy remember. at the bar. Um, then we find that Darlene or Donna, as we found out her name is, has come back to deduce. Uh, because she has breezed through nursing school. She's gotten her license, but she's applied to a job, and she disclosed that she has got a criminal record, and they don't want to hire her because hiring former prostitutes is against their policy because it shows her moral character, which is funny and ironic since, like, if you know the full story of her, it actually it does show her moral character. Yeah, just not in the way they're implying. 
Uh, but she asked Abby to go talk to these uh, the, the nursing board or the department in the hospital and vouch for her. Mm-hmm. And she does. And she talks about how she's known her for 15 years and how, yes, everything that she did, that's that's true. It's a matter of record about all the things you don't know about her. Um, and then she says, you know, that just shows that people are surprising. They're, po- they're capable of anything. And then the guy asks her, what do you do now? And she goes, oh, I manage the same bar I met her in. Mm-hmm. And the guy's like... Well, okay, and, and that's they, it. They write that down, and yeah, Darlene's fucked. Dar- <laughs> like, do you think it would be better for her to lead with her? I'm involved in the Women Against Pornography, and I'm a major donor to, uh, like hospitals dealing with HIV. Like, selling, yeah. saying she's to, the manager to, of a bar sells her pretty fucking short. Absolutely. Uh, and like, if she was an act, like I, I felt like it, uh, everything she'd have said would have had more weight if you found out that she's actually a person who's dedicated her life to giving women the resources. And like, you know what the fuck? Like, do you just want women to stay prostitutes until they're ground up? Like, you right. don't like if someone finally escapes and it's like, oh, you can never hire them again. It's like mm-hmm. she's not even a fucking felon. She's being treated like one. Um, I yeah, it's depressing. Yeah. And no, as soon as I I see the interviewers take note of what Abby does, I'm like, well. This is not going to have a great outcome. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else we missed? I felt like we we covered it pretty well. No, we're good. We put out a call for clarification mm-hmm. on the infield fly rule, and we got several responses. Uh, people sent this to TV at baldmove.com, and I'm going to share them with uh, everybody now. Rob S. is the first one who says, as a former Little League umpire and current middle-aged softball player who likes to heckle umpires, allow me to land, lend my two cents. All right. You're recognized as an authority on the subject by bald news standards. Mm-hmm. The rule, runners on first or second bases uh, or with bases loaded with fewer than two outs, the batter hits a fly ball that can be caught with an out an unreasonable amount of effort by an infielder. The batter is called out automatically and runners may advance at their own risk. This rule is in place to prevent the shortstop, for example, from intentionally dropping the ball, whipping it to third, and having the third baseman throw it to second for an easy double play. Okay. It's also a rule that's interpretive, but not and not always clearly and consistently enforced. <laughs> um, so I think we had the interpretation basically correct. Mm-hmm. Uh, and his... Uh, idea of how it applies to the episode is says says Frankie is bleeding to death and he knows he's just got minutes to live. What comes to his mind is dying moment is I never understood the in fly infield fly rule and now I'm going to die not understanding it. (laughs) And he says it's just a dumb last thought to have. He's there with his twin brother, someone who likely discussed the very subject with millions of times since they were ten, and he wants to inject some levity in a really bad situation. Uh, it's like lying there dying and saying, but I never learned how they get the goo into a Twinkie, and now I'll never know. Is it a callback? Because I feel like this would work much better for me if it was a callback to some some discussion they had had just you know, out of the blue somewhere in earlier episodes. I don't think so. Cause like I, I looked around at Reddit and I didn't see anyone saying that. And I never, I didn't see mm-hmm. anyone in the TV critics discussing it, talking about that. And, and crucially also no one emailed about it. Yeah. Uh, but Ashley uh, M also sent us an email uh, and referred us to an article by Noel Murray in the, at the AV club. And he is, does a, as, as good a job of explaining the rule as Rob did, but his interpretation was, uh, that the point of this rule is to prevent trickery and confusion on the base pass to keep fielders from intentionally dropping the ball and turning one out into two. So why does Frankie Martino, while gut shot and dying, feel compelled to poke fun at his twin brother Vincent for not understanding the rule? Maybe Frankie's just going out the way he came in, taking one last shot at the good brother. Or maybe he's letting Vincent know just what happened had to happen. Frankie was obviously out. If someone hadn't made the call, Vince might have ended up getting tagged out too, creating a double Hmm. play. So I think I like that a little bit better as an interpretation. It still it still doesn't quite feel quite right to me because I don't know why Frankie dying is going to save Vincent or how they were connected at all because Vincent just was a lot more careful than Frankie. Yeah. Um, but also, I guess, like, you have to look at it from a dying Frankie's point of view. Like, he's, you know, I... I, I, I it's not that he wasn't grateful for his brother's protection. I don't think he realized the need for it ever. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like every time sure. Vincent tried to save him, like Frankie's like, "Hey, relax." No, hey, you know, it's like I uh-huh. he just doesn't realize how much. Day. So like this, 
I don't know. Maybe in his dying moment, he he finally did realize it, and it's like better this way. I, I don't I don't know. I still is a little little mysterious. Yeah, I could go with either of those explanations though. Uh, all right, that's all we got. If you would like to send us feedback, you can do so at TV at baldmove.com. We also have our forums, forums.baldmove.com, or there's a thread on the deuce uh, that people are participating in. If you'd like to uh, get your deuce feedback in either way or scratch your deuce discussion itch off podcast, that's how you do it. We'll be back next week with another, I'm sure, excellent episode of the deuce. Until then, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. See ya. See ya.